Hey, everybody, welcome back to Bikes and Big Ideas on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, the founder of Blister, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing and all of our other podcasts over at blisterreview.com. And once again, we are broadcasting this episode from our home here in the Gunnison Valley of Colorado, and you should start making plans to come do some safe, socially distanced riding here in Gunnison and Crested Butte. Okay, today's episode is more of a Gear 30 type of episode because we are diving deep into the details of the new fork from RockShox called the Zeb. And I'm joined today by Blister reviewer David Golay and Chris Mandel, who has worn a number of hats over the years for RockShox and SRAM. And while he has worked quite a bit on the suspension side of things at RockShox, he is now doing more than just product development work at SRAM. And so how about I just let Chris explain what exactly he does? Does that sound okay? Anyway, we first talked to Chris about how he got connected with RockShox and how and when he actually got into just bikes in general. Then we dive deep into the backstory of the Zeb. We talk about why RockShox built it and who it's for. We discuss its available configurations and compatibility. We talk about the Zeb versus the RockShox Lyric Fork. And of course, we talk about some other stuff too. And so if you are a bike gear dork, this one is for you and we hope you enjoy. And with that, here we go. Well, Chris, how are you today and where are you today? Um, thanks for the question. I am excellent today. Um, and of course, in this age of pandemic, I'm working from my home office with my two and a half year old watching TV in the other room. Um, I do normally work from home. Um, I live in Bellingham, Washington, um, and have moved back here about a year ago um, after spending um, four and a half years about living in Colorado Springs, working out of the RockShox facility there. Um, before starting with RockShox, I lived in Bellingham for about six and a half years. So coming back to Bellingham is, is kind of where I'm, where I'm from and um, feels great to be here. It's weird because I only hear terrible things about Bellingham and that it has no good bike riding anywhere nearby. So I'm, I'm a little surprised that you would set up shop in such a location. My, my probably most often um, social media post is don't come, it always rains. Um, when people, people post photos of their amazing rides that they're going on in Bellingham. It's, it's, it's a really amazing place. It's changed a lot since I first started coming here and riding here and, and, you know, it has gotten quite a bit busier, but I, I honestly think it's changed for the better. The, the range of trails is such that, you know, you can have a world-class downhill racer or enduro racer, um, happy on the trails that they're able to ride here. And then you can have, um, a beginner, um, be able to, to work their way up from cross country trails to, to whatever they want to be riding. So it's, it's, it's a really good environment in that regard. So before we dive into the details of this new Zeb product, um, I did want to hear a bit more about your own background uh, in biking. And then you have been around with SRAM for a while, but I think walking us through a bit, you know, 
when you got started with the company, some of the different roles you've taken on, I think is all gonna be pretty valuable background for you know when we, when we do dive into the details of this new fork. Um, so take us through that, Chris. Yeah, totally. So I, um, I started with RockShox about five years ago now. Um, before that, I'd had a couple of different jobs in the bike industry. I worked for um, Full Speed Ahead for a little while as an inventory controller, and then I worked at Kona Bikes for about six years as a actual as an actual product manager. Um, and then again, you know, five years ago, started working for RockShox and was initially hired and and spent had spent most of my time there as the rear shock product manager. And so, as the rear shock product manager. You know, my job was to set the product direction for rear shocks, um, but also when it comes to rear shocks, and I, and I think most people understand this, but but maybe just on a surface level, every rear shock is custom tuned to the bike frame that it's going onto, and that takes quite a bit of work and like close communication with the OEM um, that that is that is wanting to spec that shock on their bike and so and then and then you can obviously see there's probably some complexity to that because if you have you know one bike frame but it's got three different price points with three different spec levels of shock each one of those shocks needs to get tuned to to ride the way that that um frame manufacturer wants their bike to ride um and so I would work really closely with the product managers at the OEM customers, me and, and a technician, um, going out and, and actually doing rides with the OEM customers, making sure that the shocks were riding in the way that they wanted them, wanted them to uh, on their bikes. And, you know, it's always funny because, you know, I'd go to these like cool exotic places and my wife would be really jealous of me. And she'd be like, well, what did you see while you was there? And I was like, well, we had the <laughs> test track and I rode it 60 some odd times and I rode one other trail and um, I saw the train station and I saw the airport and the hotel we were staying at and that was about it. But I've got that one trail wired. I can ride that in my sleep. For shock testing, you know, what we do is we'll change one variable at a time. So we'll put a shock on a bike do a run down a track, um, ask what the feedback was, and then make us make one small change. Do another run, work through the feedback until we get the the bike riding the way that the OEM customer wants their bike to ride. So that's what I did primarily um, at for most of my time at RockShox so far. And then about a year ago, for some family reasons, I needed to move back to Bellingham just to, to be closer to the extended family and, and be able to deal with some healthcare issues. Um, and RockShox was awesome and um, agreed to keep me on board, even though um, being a remote worker is, is something that they were still at the time sort of figuring out um, how, to, how to deal with. But my role switched when I did that to um, a role that we called um, brand and product evangelist. And really what I was working on there was at OEM level, retail level, and consumer level, um, trying to create the environment that would allow new RockShox products to come in and succeed and be understood through the, throughout the channel. Um, I only managed to do that work for a couple of months before COVID hit and then it kind of like put a, put a damper on any travel. Um, 
And then through COVID and some personnel changes that we had, um, I've now moved over and become the North American PR manager. So long, long path um, through RockShox into being, you know, SRAM and and RockShox North American PR manager. But it's it's really nice stepping into this role with such a solid technical and product focused background because I think it allows me to sort of convey a lot of the tech details um, given that that's sort of my background. And then every time anything strictly PR comes up, I have to run to my counterparts in Europe and be like, how do I answer this question? And Chris, talk for a second about like when and how you sort of got into bikes in the first place. I mean, I'm guessing the story is something like I was two years old, da-da, da-da, da-da. But did you do a stint on the racing side of things? Were you just somebody who always loved riding? How, what did that look like? Yeah, I actually, I wasn't someone who started, I mean, I rode bikes a little bit growing up, but honestly, it came to me a little bit later in life. You know, I, I kind of moved around a lot as a kid on the West Coast of America. You know, like the simplest description is like, I've lived everywhere from LA to Anchorage, Alaska. Um, and honestly, I spent most of my sort of younger years running around outside and, and just like being in the forest or swimming, canoeing, all kinds of things like that, hiking. Um, and then it wasn't until I moved to Bainbridge Island, Washington um, in like the seventh or eighth grade that I started doing group sports, um, basketball and football, American football primarily. And I went through, uh, went through high school playing American football and basketball when I was homeschooled for a lot of high school. And so I would ride my bike from my house to football practice, which was like, I don't remember how long, but I think it took me, you know, like 45 minutes or an hour. And I started riding over some single track, but I didn't know anything about mountain biking. I just thought that that was like great riding my mountain bike on this piece of single track that went you know, like shortcutted to where the high school was for football practice. And then I ended up getting recruited to play um, division three. So like pretty low level um, football for college, got there really, really quickly realized that like the high school football team that I was playing on, which was like an amazing, supportive, super fun environment was not how college football was. Um, so I managed to like stick it out for one year just to sort of persevere. Um, and it was terrible. It was a terrible experience. And at the end of that, I was like, okay, cool. I'm done with football. I'm never going to do that again. But like, I got to do some sport. And that was sort of when I realized, um, that mountain biking was a thing. Um, and I ended up getting super lucky and the bike shop, that was in the town that I was going to college. Um, one of their former employees was a pretty successful um, cross-country racer at the time. Evan, Evan Plews is his name. And Evan was really awesome and just took this kid who didn't know anything under his wing and started just destroying me on really long, savage rides. And uh, I was hooked immediately and just um, haven't kind of looked back since then. Where were you going to school, by the way? Uh, Linfield College in McMinnville, Oregon. So it's like 40-ish miles south of Portland. 
And it actually, it was an interesting place because it had, I don't really know exactly how to describe the scene, but it had like a pretty strong cross country, like contingent of people around. Um, and then there was like a little tiny bit of free ride that was going on in the woods. And um, I, don't know, I don't know if you're familiar with Black Rock Canyon, which is kind of like outside of um, Salem, Oregon. Um, that was like a hour drive from, from there. So I would drive down there sometimes. And, and Evan at the time, Evan lives in Eastern Washington now, but at the time Evan lived down that way. And so we would, we would kind of go ride some of those trails on our cross country bikes and yeah. Okay. Well, we know how you got into bikes. We know what you've been doing at Rock Shocks and Shram. I think it's time to dive into this Zeb. Yeah. So well, as people listening to this may or may not be familiar, um, Rock Shocks just recently rolled out the Zeb, which is their biggest, longest travel, burliest single crown offering, uh, kind of a step above the Lyric, sliding in between that and the Boxer. And uh, I... Last week, actually, went up to Bellingham and met with Chris, went for a ride, and picked one up that we'll be untesting and we'll be running a review on in a bit. And so we kind of wanted to get Chris on to just talk through the new product and why RockShox wanted to make this new offering to their fork line and who it's best suited for and all that sort of stuff. So, uh, Chris, if you want to take it from there. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think the, the best jumping off point um, for going on the Zeb is is to start thinking about it in terms of where we've seen enduro racing going, um, as well as e-bike use in the last few years. And, you know, like at the RockShocks, the RockShocks team, John Cancelier is the product manager on the sort of butter wagon forks that takes care of Boxer, Lyric, Pike, and now Zeb. And our race team and then the, the core of riders um, in the Colorado Springs office, as we were sort of looking out into the world, um, as we began the, the Zeb development, what we were really realizing is that enduro courses were becoming like mini downhill tracks and e-bikes were coming along to a point where they were able to be ridden super aggressively like almost as as aggressively as a, as a as a regular bike and so those kind of factors together um you know had some people asking for oh can i start putting boxer on my trail enduro bike because i i want the stiffness and the control that that offers um, and we really kind of dug in in that moment and said well how is lyric working how is lyric not working on these new aggressive tracks, what would be something that would sort of fill that gap in between like where the Lyric is today and, and where the where the Boxer is, um, but really hyper-focus on those sort of longer travel, super enduro bikes that are now very pedalable and, and need their own specific equipment. Um, so that was really, like the kernel or the kernels, I would say that, that got us going on this front um, between new enduro bikes and, um, and the EMTB need. And from there it was really down. It really came down to starting to identify like, well, what were the ride characteristics we're looking for? What are we trying to, um, 
achieve with this fork in terms of um, the overall bike package. So if I just start diving into sort of some of the bit, bits and pieces, as we kicked off the project, you know, we were really happy with the performance of Charger 2.1, and we really felt like that damper um, was a really good chassis for us to work from. Now we did know that we were going to have to upscale it in terms of fitment to get into a bigger chassis because we did feel pretty strongly that we were going to have to move to a bigger chassis um, to be able to sort of achieve some of the, the other things I'll talk about a little bit later. And then on the air spring side of things, if you guys recall earlier this year, we launched the new Devon air spring that we put into Pike and, and Lyric. Um, that, that new Devon air spring, which is um, in Zeb as well, all of those springs and, and the ride characteristic of them were developed together. So we were sort of prototyping some of that ride height um, dynamic feel in Pike and Lyric with the intention of rolling that into Zeb as we got the first Zeb chassis to try out. But really, I think it was helpful for us to sort of know where we were planning on going with the air spring, know where we were planning on going with the damper, and then be able to focus on what feedback we were getting from the market and our riders on defining that chassis ride ride side of things. Um, and those are those that's really what started us pointing down the direction of going to a 38 millimeter, a bigger 38 millimeter upper tube. Um, that's what pointed us to some of the shaping work that we did on the lower leg, as well as um, the layout of the crowns. And really what we were trying to get there was we didn't want to put a boat anchor on the front of the bikes because we still believe strongly that these bikes need to be something that can pedal up the hill. And then we also didn't want to make the stiffest fork in the world. Like it would have been pretty easy for us to just kind of throw a bunch of material at this problem and make a crazy stiff fork. Um, so we really listened to our riders and picked apart where they were looking to have additional stiffness and where we found riders looking to have additional stiffness was really in cornering situations and straightaway rough, you know, rutted out or rocky sections of trail where you're really just trying to hold a line and not have to be overburdened by putting a bunch of effort into holding that line. And for us, listening to that feedback was really critical because it pointed us really clearly in, in one direction, which was sure the full chassis of the fork should get some amount stiffer, but what we really need to focus on in terms of stiffness increases on that, the torsional stiffness, which is really like the twisting bending, uh, or rather the twisting, you know, what you would experience in a corner, um, or in that sort of straightaway when something, something's trying to tug at your wheel. And so that's really what we did on the chassis side in terms of stiffness was we really bumped up that torsional stiffness by about 20% over Lyric. But the fore aft bending and some of the other stiffness numbers are, are increased, but they're only increased like eight to 10% because um, that's really not where we were getting the feedback in terms of like wanting more and feeling like, um, having an increase in stiffness would result in faster times down a track or more control or more comfort for a rider down a track. And then the other thing that comes along with um, 
sort of the, the bigger chassis and knowing that we were going to be more focused on sort of the longer travel side of things is that really enabled us to like focus on what is the optimum pushing overlap for a fork that's going to be primarily used at longer travels. And bushing overlap is like something we pay a lot of attention to because the further apart that our bushings are, um, the more structural rigidity the fork has and the smoother it's able to slide um, when it's heavily loaded. But again, you know, we could very easily have a huge amount of bushing overlap, but it would add, you know, you could add quite a bit of weight in doing that. So we really kind of like watch like if, if this fork is going to be optimally used in this range, what kind of bushing overlap are we going to want to have? And let's do that in such a way that we reduce the friction and really maintain that small bump performance when the fork is, is loaded as well. And then there are a couple other little um, features that we knew we needed to fit into it that are, are I think, just sort of things you want to bring into a new product, fender compatibility, um, we use torque caps on our lower legs and that torque caps are increases the surface area engagement between the front hub and the lower leg of the fork. And that has a huge increase in the overall stiffness of the chassis. And what's really great about it is it does it without adding weight. Like it's just a really simple, easy, easy thing to do to increase the stiffness of a fork. And I think, I think, one thing I would touch on really quickly there is like it is important for us to really be focused on that. There's a lot of different ways you can add stiffness to a fork, but you want to like prioritize them based on where are we going to get the most gains for the least amount of weight addition. And for a fork like this, that's super important. So I kind of just threw a bunch of stuff at you guys. Questions? Well, that was, I think, quite a good summary. Um, realizing we probably should have circled back on this a little bit earlier, but uh, for people who aren't familiar, the Lyric was the or is a 35 millimeter stanchion chassis, and then the Zeb has gone up to 38 millimeter. And since you talked quite a bit about the sort of weight optimization and trying to trade off adding the stiffness that you were looking for without making the fork tremendously heavy, um, should probably touch on that a little bit too. Uh, if I'm remembering right, the Zeb Ultimate is coming in at a little bit over 2,200 grams. Is that, is that about right? Yeah, so it's it depends quite a bit depending on like which configuration of fork you have and what you're comparing um, from this fork to that fork. The weight that you quoted on the Zeb sounds about right. In general, it's about 200 grams to go from a Lyric up to a Zeb. In terms of like comparing the two, the two forks to each other. Um, another difference I would point out too, just between the Lyric and the Zeb um, on like the technical sort of like weight feature set thing it is the Zeb is also five millimeters taller sort of fork to fork. So like a 170 Zeb is going to be five millimeters taller than a 170 Lyric. And part of that is get a little bit getting at that bushing overlap. Um, there's some other considerations that go into that too. Yeah. Uh, one thing I had sort of noticed on the Zeb too, is that the, uh, tire clearance at the arch is particularly huge. There's a, a massive amount of room in there. Did that play a little bit of a role in that added axle to crown height as well? Yeah, there's a whole bunch of little tiny features that go into, or details that go into that five millimeters, but 
Yeah, for sure. One thing we definitely, you know, never wanted to have to have a conversation with about on this fork was tire clearance and tire clearance in the mud. Like we expect this fork, you know, I can't, I can't remember which year it was, but there was the rainy EWS season and, um, Definitely some of the feedback from that rainy EWS season went into this fork in terms of tire clearance and making sure that like a very muddy, very big tire would be able to pass through the fork. Cool. So I think that was a good sort of summary of the new chassis overall. So maybe it'd be time to dive into the different versions of it that are on offer since there are uh, a handful of different variants of the fork at a few different price points that you guys are offering. So could you talk us through those a little bit? Yeah, so great question. I think this is super important for your readers to or and your listeners to, to hear and understand. So inside the Zeb product line, we start at the ultimate level product, and that features the Charger 2.1 damper, and it features the, the debonair spring. And actually, all of these models that I'll speak through feature that debonair spring. Um, so they all maintain that same ride feel in terms of the air spring side of the fork. And what we do is we step from the ultimate down to the select plus level fork. Um, and as we make that move, we remove some of the machining from the crowns on that fork. Um, we also move to a Charger RC damper. So this is still a 2.1 damper, but it's removing the high speed compression adjustment on that. From there, we go down to the select level product which features a Charger RC, but it's an IFP rather than a bladder-backed Charger damper. Um, still provides a really great um, level of performance and um, compression adjustment on that, that um, fork. And then when we step down to the base model, that's when we have just a rebound adjust on the, the fork damper. Um, but across the full line, you're going to get those benefits in terms of the ride height from the Debonair spring, the increased bushing overlap and the, the um, torsional chassis stiffness in there. A um, couple other things to mention in terms of like um, fit and, and availability of product. So this fork goes from 160 to 190 millimeters of travel. Um, huge, huge, huge range there. Um, but we see primarily um, forks being specced and in purchase in the aftermarket kind of between 160, 170, 180, um, with 170 seeming like it's it's really the sweet spot. Fork does feature a um, fender compatibility, um, and that fender compatibility is across the full suite of forks. So just to kind of jump in, and we'll kind of, I think, do a little bit of like, you know, zooming in and pulling back out a little bit on this conversation. On the pulling back outside for just a second, as somebody is hearing us talk about these differences in the lineup and the rest, I'm curious to ask you, like, who ought to rightly be confused and staying up all night and losing sleep about whether to go with the Zeb or whether to go with a different fork in the lineup? We know on the internet there's a lot of, like, wildly off-base hand-wringing about products, right? That we all probably, you know, partake in at some point. So who actually is most justified in being like, man, should I go here or should I go there? Yeah. So I think that's a super good question. And I wish there was like a super easy answer to the question. (laughs) Like, well, if you're a huge rider, you should go with the Zeb. And if you're a small rider, you should go 
the lyric, but it honestly isn't that cut and dry. Um, you know, I think I'll go back to, um, we had a test camp earlier this year in France and Kate Witten, who's like a, a pretty small, smaller stature rider, um, was blown away by the Zeb. And that was the fork that she was going to race prior to COVID race the, the EWS season on because even as a smaller, lighter rider, she felt like the additional control that the Zeb gave her was huge and something that was going to help her win more races. So the answer to that question really, I think, comes down to the rider thinking about themselves and the terrain that they're trying to manage. Because really where this fork is going to shine, and and I think it's important to note that like the Lyric is still like a great heavy-hitting fork that can work in this realm, but where the Zeb comes in and really like takes, allows the rider to move to another level of confidence is on the really aggressive, steeper terrain, terrain that features harder berm, harder, bigger, faster berms, terrain that's quite rocky and chunky where you're trying to hold like a high line or an awkward off camber or things like that. Um, so really as a rider, I think you should think about the type of terrain that you're riding. And if your terrain allows you to add a little bit of weight to get an increase in control and precision on your riding on the way down the hill, then this fork is a really great option for you. You know, I personally am, am currently riding it on my 160 bike and my 180 bike. And I'm a, I'm a lot, I'm a pretty big guy. And so it makes a pretty massive difference for me. Like I, I feel incredible on this fork. Um, but even smaller, lighter riders um, are going to see a huge improvement in terms of like what they can get out of their bike and how confident they can feel um, when the terrain gets really rough. If the question was who ought to be the most hung up on whether to go with the Zeb or something else in the RockShox lineup, seems like the answer would be some riders might really be straddling the, the line whether to go with the Zeb or to go with the Lyric. Fair? Yeah, and I, and I think that that is a place that people absolutely should be because the, the Lyric is still a really excellent fork that is very um, usable in this category of, of use of, you know, 160, 170, um, 180 forks. So I think those riders who would find themselves straddling that line they're the ones that really need to think about, you know, me, am I going to benefit the most from the 200 gram weight savings or am I going to benefit the most from the increase in stiffness? Um, and, you know, again, going back to what we sort of talked about earlier with the air spring of the new air spring for Lyric and the air spring and Zeb being co-developed just to provide a similar ride feel and then Zeb and Lyric featuring similar dampers. You're going to get, you know, a lot of similar ride qualities out of the two of them um, in terms of like air spring damping. But <clears throat> the Zeb is like, as we mentioned, 20% stiffer in torsionals um, and, then, and then a little bit stiffer in some of the other numbers. But um, it's really thinking about the kind of trails that you ride and and how you ride and recognizing that if like, you're looking for a boost in confidence on the gnarlier sections of trail. 
Zeb is probably a really good option for you. Um, if you're still really, if you are really focused on trying to ride a longer travel bike but still get all the KOMs going on the climbs, the, the Lyric might still be a good option for you just because it's going to allow you to save those 200 grams and it's, it's really coming down to you know that those individual riders sort of making the decision on, on that front. You know, the other complicating factor is the Zeb is a pretty amazing looking fork mounted up on the front of your bike with the bigger upper tubes. Um, <laughs> so that always kind of like throws a, throws a grenade in because we do know that um, the, the Lyric is a beautiful fork, but the, the aesthetic of a bigger upper tube fork always kind of captures the imagination. And we do know bikes are, are fashion pieces to some degree. <laughs> captures the imagination i like that he's got a um, point it does the zeb does look pretty sweet and i'm especially fond of the uh gray color way on the ultimate it's a it's a sharp looking fork for sure now we're really getting into the important stuff so i'm <laughs> glad we i'm glad we got there to give a more serious response there um i think what chris said makes a ton of sense i've written a lyric quite a bit i've got a handful of rides on the zeb now and we'll be putting a lot more testing on that as we go forward here, but um, like he was saying, the air spring and damper are pretty similar. And so the Zeb in a lot of ways does feel like a fork that's pretty similar to a Lyric, but just in a beefed up stiffier, stiffer version. And that increase in stiffness is noticeable. And so for my particular use case, uh, I'm, not really that concerned about how fast I'm climbing most of the time and tend to be riding fairly steep trails where I'm grinding out an extended climb and then descending for a pretty long time on the way back down on relatively steep terrain. And even though I'm not a super huge guy at about 170 pounds, uh, that 200 gram trade-off for a bit of extra stiffness is a pretty easy call for me to make for my own personal use case at least. So that framing of it makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, I mean, you can think about it too in terms of, uh, you know, let's say you have two riding areas that you go to and ride and, and one of them's like more pedally and, and the other one is just, you know, straight up the hill, straight down the hill. It could be the case where like the Lyric is going to work great on the, the one hill and the Zeb would be a better option on the other hill. And I think that rider just needs to have like the internal conversation with themselves about like, is, does it make the most sense for me to, to like maximize for, for one area or the other, you know, the, I think, I think for us, we want to enable riders as much as possible. Like we don't want to, we don't want anyone to be held back by their equipment. We want people to be able to have the options that they want to have um, when it comes to suspension products. And so for us, it was really important to have both of these product offerings in the line because we for sure see a place for both of them in, in allowing riders to, to do what they want to do on their bikes and like ultimately have the best experience that, that those individuals have. And, you know, that's our role as a supplier is to, to sort of fulfill those um, hopes and dreams for riders. 
Yeah, I mean that makes sense. And actually, to sort of clarify on my last point, like I wasn't in, in any means trying to say that the lyric doesn't have a place in the line. Also, I, what I was hoping to get at there it was largely just that uh, the reason that the Zeb makes sense for my personal scenario is how much my riding around here in the Seattle area tends to be grind out a long climb and then just descend straight back down. Whereas the scenario that you laid out there where you're talking about other sorts of terrain where there's more rolling, varied kind of ups and downs and cutting weight kind of helps more there and makes more sense, then there are it's very easy to envision a different scenario where that wouldn't be the case. I, that was meant to be a comment on my own personal situation rather than a big picture one. And I just want to say that as a rider, it is my, you know, perpetual frustration that I feel like all bike equipment is holding me back <laughs> from my true potential. And if someone could just make a frame or a fork or a shock or a wheel set that would actually, actually, you know, kind of be at the level of my potential riderdom, that would be sick. <laughs> I don't mean any of that. But anyway, it's a fun thought. It's a fun thought that it's all the equipment, you know, the equipment is just way, way behind where, where I might potentially be. <laughs> I'm going to keep telling myself that for a while. Yeah, we always refer to that as the, as the arms race. So uh, if, I can just get my, if I can just get my suspension working a little bit better than a pro athlete, right. then, then I'll be right. faster than them. Well, so... What else should we say about the Zeb or maybe tell us a little bit about the, you know, I don't know, potential compatibilities, um, you know, with this fork? Yeah, good question. So the, I think the compatibilities with this fork is awesome in that it's available sort of in everything that you would, you would think of right off the top of your head. So 29, 27.5, um, it's a, it features a tapered steer tube. Um, and then again, I mentioned the travels before, but 160, 170, 180, um, and 190. So for the bikes that people would want to be putting this fork on, the configurations are, are readily available. And uh, one more detail on top of that too. It's Am I right in thinking it's available in both a short and long offset version for both wheel sizes? So that that is a little bit less clear. Like so... OEM will have some configurations available um, on the aftermarket side of things. Um, it is primarily available in the short offset version. So for 27.5, that would be 38. And for 29, that would be 44. Cool. I mean, frankly, I think that makes sense given the sort of intentions of the fork and the sorts of bikes that it's likely to be used on anyway. Well, I think that covers it for now on the Zeb. I want to ask you, I don't know, probably a fairly annoying question. Chris, we were talking the other day about, you know, some suspension stuff in general, some drivetrain stuff, some brake stuff, just your opinion. But if we had to think about where we are in the kind of evolution of, let's use those three categories, drivetrains, brakes, and suspension, which of those three areas do you see as still having the most opportunity for advancement and improvement? Ooh, I like this question um, because I do think, you know, over the years that I've been in the bike industry, I've continually been impressed with 
my feeling that I have, you know, like in the moment, not only do I have an amazing ride experience on the bike that I'm riding, but the consumer landscape, it is really a, a, an amazing place where you can, you know, go into a shop or go into an online retailer and at any given moment and in my time in the bike industry, at least, which is, you know, 12 years, I think now, and, and get a pretty amazing product. And, and I think that's really changed a bit in the last five years. So like kind of with the, with dropper posts and one by drivetrains becoming ubiquitous on bikes, I think that was really sort of a tipping point in my mind where it's, it's like, wow, you can really just buy a bike and like right out of the box, start having amazing experiences on it. But I think the real answer to this question is the people who do the development work on our products, both at SRAM um, and at RockShox, are always hungry to improve the consumer's riding experience and their own personal riding experiences. So I think to be perfectly honest with you, um, there is a ton of runway to develop cool new ride enhancing feature sets on, on both the suspension side and the drivetrain side of things. And that, that development is going to come in its own time, but I don't think that any of those developments that are, that are off in the future take away from the ride experience that you can have on the bikes that are available today. Um, and, and I, and I say that, um, knowing that the $3,500 bike or the, or the $2,500 bike today is much better than that price point from a couple of years ago. But at the same time, you can climb to the top of the hill and hit all the same jumps all the way down the hill on, um, on both the, the five year ago, $2,500 bike and today's $2,500 bike. So I don't know if that exactly gets at the answer to your question, but that's my feeling on it. One thing I, cause I, it's sort of Jonathan, your question sort of made me think about something that I don't know if people really like understand a lot about SRAM and RockShox. And, and one of the things that I think the organization as a whole does a really good job of is, you know, the, the people that we hire to do the engineering work, the ones who like put in the long hours to, to figure out the details of, of how a fork works or how a brake works or how a drivetrain works, like they are cyclists themselves. And so, you know, they're, they're paid to do a job, you know, check a drawing out of a computer system, modify the drawing, check it back into the system. Um, and they're, and they're paid to do that. And that's how they feed their kids. But we, we do really hire people who have a personal investment in like knowing and understanding that the work that they're doing is going to change the experience that they are personally having on the trail. And I think, um, you know, they do their jobs because they're professionals and they do their jobs because they're passionate driven people. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons why you see so much innovation coming out of our company. And it really has to do with, with who's involved in the design work, who's involved in the product development work and those people being very laser focused on like, improving consumers riding experiences and 
knowing where that needs to go based on their own personal riding experiences. Well, Chris, um, thanks so much for the conversation today and for kind of walking us through uh, the Zeb and the different configurations and compatibilities and the like and giving us a bit of the backstory on this new fork. Yeah, no problem. Thank you for the opportunity. Yeah. All right, man. Well, listen, we will let you go and, you know, good luck uh, dealing with that uh, that place you live in. And, you know, <laughs> if you ever want to get some real biking in, you know, you know where to find us. I do. I have to tell you, you know, like Crested Butte, Monarch Pass, uh, Vitamin B and Buena Vista. I think Vitamin B is legal now, so we're allowed to talk about it. But yeah. like, those are those places are some of my favorite, favorite places to ride. So um, I'm I'm more than willing to come out there sometime and, and go for a ride. And then, obviously, you're welcome to come up here and, and go for a spin. Mostly, I just like the idea of, like, talking shit between like, <laughs> places with good riding. That seems fun and productive. So, um, but yeah, I would love to make it out there sometime. And, and you are certainly welcome in these parts. So, um, yeah, again, appreciate the time. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Yeah, yeah. All right. Thank you, guys. That's it for this edition of Bikes and Big Ideas. Thanks to Chris and David for the conversation. Thanks to Jared Farley for producing this episode. And thanks to you for listening. Until next time, please take good care of yourself and everybody else. And we will talk to you again next week.